This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. From Washington, this is CQ on Congress, the nonpartisan source for in-depth analysis of Capitol Hill's policy debates. I am Sean Zeller. Members of the House Judiciary Committee return to Washington next week to respond to the mass shootings in El Paso and Dayton, which, over the course of two days in August, left 32 dead and another 51 injured. Still, the chances of a new law are small. The last time Congress passed major gun control legislation was in 2007, when it moved to improve the country's background check system after a student at Virginia Tech killed 32 and wounded 17. Lindsay McPherson, CQ Roll Call's House reporter, is here to tell us about what's happening. And later, I'll talk by phone with Clark Merrifield of Harvard's Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy about one area of bipartisan agreement, so-called red flag laws. Welcome to the show, Lindsay. Thanks, Sean, for having me. So, Lindsay, the members of the House Judiciary Committee will be back next week. Why are they coming back and what are they going to do? Well, they decided to come back a week earlier than the rest of their colleagues um, to prioritize some additional gun safety measures. The committee had already passed two bills um, back in, well, the House, the full House passed them back in February after the committee had uh, sent them out to the floor. Um, a big one that they've been talking about for a long time is the background check bill that they passed in February. It's basically, they call it universal background checks. It closes some loopholes that exist cur- in current law that basically if you purchase a gun online or through a gun show or something, um, there are certain pro- processes that don't trigger a background check, and they want to close those loopholes so that no matter how you're getting your gun, that it triggers a background Even check. Even if you're buying it from another individual like my neighbor. Right. And that is one of the reasons Republicans oppose that measure is they don't want to, you know, if you're getting it from your neighbor, your friend, um, you know, a cousin, whoever, they don't think that that needs to trigger the same level of scrutiny as buying it from a stranger. Gotcha. And can you give us an overview of any of the other uh, other bills that are under consideration? We, we've heard a lot about the background check system. Are there any other ideas out there about how to combat these mass shootings that are making their way into legislation? There are a few, and that is why they're coming back, as they kind of want to act on some of those. There was a big debate within the Democratic caucus about whether the full House should return early to take additional action beyond the background check measure, um, and kind of what the compromise they settled on was the Judiciary Committee to come back and pass a few additional bills that would be ready for the House floor when the full House returns September 9th. Um, and so what they are going to mark up, there's three bills under consideration. Um, one would ban high-capacity magazines, like in the Dayton shooter, for example, has the magazine that he had with him could hold 100 rounds. Um, so it would ban magazines like that. And the second bill um, is, you talked about in your intro, the red flag laws as something that could have bipartisan compromise. This bill is a bipartisan bill. It has two Republican co-sponsors. Um, and it basically allows, 
it creates a grant program for states to set up red flag laws, which basically it's however the state wants to organize it. But generally speaking, they the state enacts a law that says the courts um, with probable cause that somebody would um, harm themselves or others can see temporarily seize firearms from an individual um, as a kind of a protection order. But the, this this bill that they're passing doesn't create any kind of federal law to mandate that. It just is meant encourages to the encourages the states to set them up by providing this grant program. And that one is potentially bipartisan. Uh, and then the third bill that they're going to mark up would make it illegal for people convicted of misdemeanor hate crimes to possess a firearm. Obviously, if you're a felon, you it's illegal now to possess a firearm. So for people who have misdemeanor hate crimes, some of these mass shootings have been targeted you know, uh, Targeting but, uh, people uh, because of their race or exactly, ethnicity or, or uh, sh- sexual sex, orientation. Yeah. Um, what about an assault weapons ban? I mean, there was a big bit of news uh, this month when Peter King, a Republican from New York, signed on to a bill which has over 200 Democratic co-sponsors to renew the assault weapons ban, which was enforced starting in uh, 1994 for about a decade before it expired, uh, barring the sale of certain uh, ass- so-called assault weapons. There is a lot of interest in that among Democrats. Um, in fact, they it has more co-sponsors. That bill um, has 205 co-sponsors. It has more than the other bills that they're marking up, all of which have under 200. So it, it's interesting to me that they decide to hold off on that. What it signals to me is leadership does not believe that they would be able to get the votes needed to pass that on the floor, where I think they believe these other three measures they can whip the votes needed to pass them on the floor. What they well, That's an important point, Lindsay. I mean, a lot of the new Democrats, this big freshman class of Democrats, were elected in Republican, traditionally Republican-leaning districts. They're from, some of them are from somewhat rural areas uh, where gun rights are uh, a way of life, um, hunting's a way of life. Are, where are those Democrats? I mean, are Democrats, how united are they on, these, on this legislation? I mean, they're very united on the background check bill, uh, but I think that some of these bans, when you talk about a banning something outright, uh, is a bridge too far for some of those members. They worry about those constituencies that you spoke of, and I just think there's some hesitancy on the assault weapons ban. What they've decided to do as a compromise is the judiciary is going to hold a hearing on September 25th on assault weapons. Um, and through that, I guess, debate the merits of whether there should be a ban or, or even some kind of like you raise the age um, for which you can buy assault weapons or some other solution. So I think that they're still going to debate it as to whether that will ever get the votes to pass on the floor that remains up in the air. But in the meantime, they're going to move forward with things where there's a little more consensus in the caucus. And anything that gets through the House, of course, would go then to the Republican-controlled Senate. Is it going to pass anything? I think the one bill that the Senate has shown interest in that the House is moving on is this red flag law bill. Um, Not necessarily the exact product that the House would move, but Lindsey Graham over there has, he's the judiciary chairman over there, so in a position of power uh, has Right, he's a South Carolina Republican. Right, has shown interest interest, in, yeah, yeah, he's definitely interested in doing something on red flags uh, laws, probably another grant program uh, as to exactly how the bills would differ. He, you know, he has his own legislation he's coming up with and putting together. And the Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell has 
specifically mentioned red flags as something, red flag laws as something that there could be area for bipartisan okay. We're going to go into those a little bit in more detail with Clark Merrifield in a minute. But President Trump, let's talk about him. He initially uh, indicated he wanted to do something big on gun control. Then he pretty quickly backed away. Where does he stand? Well, I guess it depends on the day and the minute because he has been all over the place on where he is on this. You know, he's talked at times of wanting to do stronger background checks, and then he's also backed off of that and said, we already have really strong background checks. And he's supposedly still in talks with, or I don't know if he directly, but the White House is still in talks with uh, Democratic Senator Chris Murphy of Connecticut, who is a big proponent of gun safety legislation and trying to find some kind of compromise on background checks. Um, Senator Murphy has expressed some optimism about where those talks are headed, but Trump himself has been all over the place. So it's hard to say. I know that Republicans in general think the House bill goes too far for what we talked about earlier, that they they don't want to make it more difficult for people to sell a gun or even gift a gun to their friend or their relative. All right, Lindsay, our listeners should look for your reports on what's happening in roll call next week. Thank you for coming on the show. Thanks, Sean. You're listening to CQ on Congress. I'm going to turn now to Clark Merrifield of Harvard's Shorenstein Center on Media, Politics, and Public Policy, who's written a report on state red flag laws and how effective they've been. So first, Clark, what are red flag laws? Yeah, so a red flag law, essentially, they're they're on the books in 17 states and D.C. What they do is they allow uh, family, friends, or law enforcement to report someone with access to firearms as being potentially dangerous to themselves or others. It allows the courts through a due process uh, to temporarily take the firearms from those people. The idea sort of is that it's temporary um, and it's sort of a cooling off period for allowed to allow this person. And so to, it would be a family member or the police or someone at your school or workplace, a, it, a colleague who could. Yeah, the uh, rules do vary by state. Uh, in Rhode Island, for instance, only law enforcement can uh, petition the courts, but other states would allow friends or family or anyone seeing someone with access to a firearm acting in a way that could be harmful to uh, uh, uh ask the courts essentially to take the firearm away. So the, and the firearm would be taken away temporarily. Is there some limit on that time period? Uh, you know, I, I believe that it would sort of depend on the situation, but usually uh, I think that it's around uh, several months to a year. Okay. And would there be any uh, requirement on the individual to demonstrate that they were no longer a danger in order to get their guns back? Uh, I, I believe that it would, it would essentially the individual would have to prove that in some way to the court. Um, and I suppose that might involve the, uh, parties that reported them in the, in the first place to, um, show them to. And you looked at some of the research that's been done on whether these laws work. What research is out there? Well, the research, uh, this is academic peer-reviewed research. A lot of it really doesn't address whether red flag laws would affect uh, the mass shooting issue that we have in this country. They look more at how it's associated with reducing uh, suicides by firearm. And a lot of the research I found 
focuses on Indiana and uh, and uh, Connecticut, which are two states that have had red flag laws on the books the longest, uh, over 10 years for each of them. Um, so they're sort of easier for uh, academics to, to study because they have more data. Um, one piece of research uh, from the journal uh, Psychiatric uh, Services in 2018 uh, found that the red flag laws in Indiana were associated with a seven and a half percent drop in firearm suicides in the decade after that law was passed. Uh, and that same study in Connecticut, uh, they say that there was a period after that law was passed where it wasn't enforced too strongly. Um, but after the uh, Virginia Tech shooting in 2007, Connecticut started enforcing its law more. And um, that firearm suicide uh, reduction was about 13.7%. And this is notable because gun deaths, the, the majority of gun deaths in the United States are suicides. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, correct. Exactly. So theoretically, it would seem like these laws might make a difference uh, when it comes to mass shootings. But what are the limitations? What are the drawbacks where they might not be as effective? Well, the, the thing is that the, the research that I looked at and looked for um, simply doesn't look at how it would affect mass shootings. Um, there's, there's a lot of research about how to prevent school shootings. Um, mass shootings in general could happen and do happen in other places. Um, so the, the sort of point is that to associate a red flag law as a package um, of policies to try to prevent mass shootings, well, you know, maybe, maybe they would work for that. But the, but the research really shows that it's more effective for preventing suicides. All right, Clark, we appreciate you coming on the show and sharing your research. Sure thing. Thanks for listening to CQ on Congress. The producers of this show are Tula Vlahu and Michaela Rodriguez. If you just found us, subscribe to the show on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you find your podcasts so you can get the latest episode right to your phone every week. And be sure to rate us and leave a review. We'll see you again next week.